You're listening to the Premier Podcast Network. Welcome to the pinnacle of wrestling entertainment, Premier Streaming Network. Join us at watchonpremier.com to unlock the ultimate wrestling experience, curated to perfection. Immerse yourself in the spectacular world of wrestling history, where classic battles and unforgettable moments are at your fingertips. Join us today and experience the epitome of curated wrestling content, because when it comes to wrestling entertainment, Premier sets the standard. Be Premier. It's Marcus D'Angelo, and we are back for another episode of Everybody's Got a Pod. And of course, we're joined by the million dollar man himself, Ted DiBiase. Ted, how you doing, man? Marcus, I'm doing uh, great. I feel like a million bucks. <laughs> uh, uh, well, I'm okay. Let me be really honest. I feel like a million bucks, but, uh, uh, you know, a couple of my grandchildren are standing with us, you know, right now. And I said, you know, now I know why you're a parent, you know, at an. <laughs> When you're younger, because oh man, I think I'm a I'm a grandparent now, and you know these kids, man, they just they're nonstop, boom, 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 boom. You know, <laughs> I, I love them to death, but wow, oh like, man, keeping you young over there, running around chasing those yeah, kids, trying huh? to anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I you know, I, you know, I'll be 70 years old in in January, and I don't feel like I'm 70 years old. Uh, I've had a lot of a lot of people said. You know, Ted, you don't you don't look that old. I mean, I, I don't look like a young buck anymore. But you know, uh, you, you know, for what I've been through, what I put my body through, um, the things I've overcome. You know, bilateral knee surgery, have both my knees replaced, and uh, you know, I had a similar uh, surgery on my neck that I think Jake had the same thing. It was a herniated discs, and and basically, at the doctor explained it to me, it's like. He says, what's the basic bump you take every night? I said, from my feet to my back. How many times? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. 20? <laughs> At least. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, or more. And he says, but, you know, right right where your, he says, where your uh, neck meets your, you know, like spine. Right there is where, where those discs are, C5, C6. And he says, you know, you know, just, you were just, landing on them every night because we you know you took most of it across the top of your shoulders and so over time it just uh disintegrates and you go in there and have to have it fused so. man it, hard on anyway. your body and yeah. hey hey speaking of things being hard on your body i know that uh, you wanted to clear something up a week or two ago on our podcast you had mentioned that you had uh suffered severe brain trauma right um, and it made the news and uh, a lot of people are making a stink out of it. I wanted to uh, give you the chance to kind of clear things up. Uh, yeah, Marcus, um, you know, uh, next week uh, and you and I have already talked about this, but I'm going to have my wife on with me and um, she can help me, uh, you know, give everybody a clearer picture of what I'm, I'm dealing with. I mean, this is this is nothing that's going to kill me. Uh, it's, uh, they call it tra- a traumatic brain injury. 
you know, but it doesn't get any worse. I could like, we were talking about my career, you know, 40 years ago. And I can, I can talk about that all day long. It's, it's the things that are more recent, you know, that's it, it, it affects your short-term memory. So, uh, but I want all the fans to understand, you know, uh, this is nothing that is, is gonna, you know, kill me early or anything like that. It's not going to get any worse. Uh, but you know, it is as a result of, of, you know, being a wrestler for almost 20 years. Right. Right. And, and look, you know, you know, I haven't talked to any of the other guys, but I'm, I'm sure that there's other guys like me in that have been in the business that, that deal with it as well. Beyond a doubt, beyond yeah. a doubt. And look, I, I can't remember when my wife asked me to do the laundry or take out the, the trash. So man, it's, it's, that's just part of being a husband no, in no, some no, cases. No, Marcus, <laughs> did you really forget? <laughs> that's what I tell her. <laughs> well, we'll cover it next week. We'll bring your, your lovely wife on and, and we can clear it all up. But yeah, just want to make it clear to everybody, you know, traumatic brain injury. I think it was taken way out of context. And uh, so we're going to go ahead and make it very, very clear to everybody next week uh, with a little run in from Mrs. DiBiase. Um, so, Ted, we've got a lot to discuss today. We're talking about Stone Cold Steve Austin in 1996 and your brief pairing with him. However, before we talk about that, just very quickly, Ted, I want to mention that just today as we're recording, it was announced that the Iron Sheik has passed away. Uh, I want to see if you had anything you'd like to say about the Hall of Famer and, and legendary performer. Uh, you know, I... The first time I met the Iron Sheik was uh, it was the first time that I went to New York. I mean, and I wasn't in New York. In the, and of course, in the New York territory, this was still back in the days of regional television and regional, you know, the territories, you know, that the WWF was the East Coast. And then there were all the other territories. This is before Vince went national with wrestling. And, um, so I had gone in and I was a young guy, uh, you know, and I wasn't like, like a, a main event guy yet or anything, but uh, nonetheless, I was there and I, I was only there for just a few months the first time I went. But anyway, um, while I was there, uh, the sheet came in and they, they, they introduced him. Uh, and, um, as, as a matter of fact, the the only time I wrestled him was in, it was in Pittsburgh. I remember. And, uh, you know, of course, you know, he was a heel and I was a, a big baby face then. And so, uh, but the crowd was getting really into the match and, and, and everything. And, and I, at one point, you know, he, he, uh, kind of like whispered in my ear. He says, uh, maybe I don't beat you tonight, Bubba. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, no, Shiki, we got to do what we got to do. Let's do it. And every, everything was fine, but um, yeah, I mean, and he could, you know, you know, there, there's a lot of, and I liked him. Uh, there's there's other guys who, you know, say, you know, he had his moments when not, you know, he wasn't a very likable guy, but uh, you know, I think you know we can say that about everybody. Yep. Uh, but it's you know, uh, it for me, it's I'm 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 sad to see him go, and I, it's just like, you know, I, you know, I don't. How did they say how old he was? 81 years old. 81. Wow. wow. I mean, long, full life, you know, yeah. an incredible athlete before and, he and got this, into wrestling. Oh, gosh. You know, I don't know how many people know this, but, you know, uh, he was legitimately, you know, he wrestled for Iran in the Olympics. 
he was a real wrestler. And yeah. I also think, and I, I, you know, I think I remember this correctly, but you know, if somebody hears this and I'm not right, let me know. Uh, I also think that he was uh, one of many bodyguards like the, the Shaw of Iran would have, you know, wow. uh, you know, so I, I think I remember that. I mean, I, I heard it somewhere. <laughs> no, it sounds legit to me. And man, a, a legit tough guy and a legit legend, Hall of Famer, um, you know, rest in peace to the Iron Sheik. What a uh, what a legacy he's left behind. Yeah, Absolutely. All right, so Ted, uh, before we start talking about Steve Austin, we're going to launch into this thing. Uh, one more diversion before we talk about Steve <laughs> Austin, but it is it is uh, part of the, of the actual podcast content here because it's 95 into 96. It's something I just couldn't let slip by, and it's something uh, I just don't foresee us having a chance to talk about again, so let's do it right now. Um, so just before it's announced that you brought in the ringmaster, at In Your House Season Beatings, Savio Vega was throwing merch into the crowd with Santa Claus. You told Savio that you could buy him, that you two started arguing, and Santa attacked Vega. You left with Santa, but Vega ran from the ring and attacked him, pulling off his hat, wig, and beard, revealing him to be John Rickner, previously known as Boo Bradley in Smoky Mountain and soon to be known as Balls Mahoney in ECW. Uh, the next night on Raw, they gave his new ring name as Santa Claus and made it clear that he was from the South Pole and stole presents. <laughs> Ted, Ted, this is this is this is absolutely brutal. Uh, what do you remember about this whole thing? Uh, I'm trying to forget. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I remember what you just said. <laughs> to, to be real honest with you, I mean, it was like. You know, it was, you know, I, you know, it wasn't the greatest thing that the million dollar man was ever involved in. That's for sure. Ooh, man. And, you yeah. know, it's the fact that that's all you know about it is not surprising because there's really not much else to say about the whole thing because yeah. it was like a week or so later, he was just gone. I think that there was a, a mix up between himself and Vince. And uh, next thing you know, he's gone and, you know, off to, to ECW to go uh, form his legacy. But man, I mean, when you hear about creative like this in those days, so just more context, you're a manager at this point, you're not a worker anymore. Um, however, you know, that when somebody comes to you with an idea that's maybe kind of shitty, are you speaking up or are you just like, Hey, whatever, just sign the checks? Uh, well, I mean, it's kind of like you can let your, you know, and, 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 and when, when I can't remember who went over that with us, uh, you know, and, you know, I just was rolling my eyes and, you know, not in front of the guys, but just with the guy who was going to be producing that that segment you know i said uh, you know whose idea is this anyway and he said well vince <laughs> i said okay you know i mean you it, it ain't gonna you, you know you're not gonna argue with the boss you know he you know he's done a lot of good things and and of course like everybody you know there's there's things he's done that you know a lot of people have rolled their eyes at but uh hey you know what? When when you're the guy with all the money and uh, paying everybody's uh, uh, way, uh, you can do whatever you want to do. Man, you had a nice long career. I know another guy Absolutely. that you know well. I I know another guy that you know well. Arn Anderson had a nice long career, and Arn's whole thing uh, was. And I mean, it's look, it's been forty years, and Arn is still working nonstop in professional wrestling. And one of the things that Arn always says is like, "Hey, look, when the guy who writes the checks tells you to do something, you just do it." 
and that's and that's all there is to it so i mean this is exactly what you guys did and it sucked and it is what it is sometimes uh strikes and gutters man um (laughs) (laughs) well after being paired with xana claus you would be paired with a future all-time great with steve austin uh he would make his tv debut on january 8th 1996 before we talk about that i did want to ask uh was this the first time you had seen or heard about austin or had you seen his stuff in wcw uh, you know, no, this was, you know, this was the first time that I saw him, uh, you know, and I, I could tell from the get go that, you know, he had the stuff, uh, you know, I, I just, I saw it right away. Yeah. It's, I mean, uh, a lot of people, you know, I've heard people say over the years, like, man, you couldn't really couldn't have predicted that rise. And it's like, probably not the rise, you know, that he, he reached. However, you look at the guy, he's got a great build. He's got a great look, great promo skills, um, good worker. So it's, you know, there was certainly something there right out of the gate. I mean, and, Ted, oh, go and, ahead. And, 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 and again, it's like, you know, like, cause when they first in, in, introduced him, they, they called him, they called him uh, stunning Steve Austin. And and then that evolved into uh, who he is today, you know. Right. And that's totally different. Uh, and you know, I, I, like you just said. Uh, and again, like the first time I saw the Undertaker, I liked the gimmick, but you know, I had no idea that that he would involve in you know, you know, end up being you know, one of the biggest names that the company's ever had. I mean, surpassing, I mean, his name's right up there with everybody that's been the world champion. So, and it should be because, you know, his character had that much impact on the, on the business. And so did, uh, so did Steve's. It just goes to show you never know what's going to hit or miss. I mean, um, on, on the surface, the undertaker is like, okay, this guy's dead. He doesn't sell. How long is this going to last? Like how, how long can we possibly make this last in here? You know, Vince in his, in his infinite wisdom proved us all wrong. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it lasted quite a while. Um, so, I mean, just looking at Steve, uh, are you seeing like, okay, main event box office potential or, uh, are you thinking like, yeah, like probably upper mid card? You know, at at that time, I you know I couldn't say you know I wouldn't you know I wouldn't go so far as to say oh my god this guy's going to be you know uh, one of the biggest things that the company's ever had. I don't think anybody could have predicted that. I just recognized that he had what we as entertainers all call is the it factor. Yep. And the it factor is charisma. It's true. Um, and and look, Steve had it coming out of his ears. Uh, and it's it's evident here in uh, what's going to be our, our only clip this week. It's uh, Steve's debut in the WWF alongside you and our, our old pal, Brother Love, Bruce Pritchard. Let's watch. Week, but lots more coming up this week. Brother Love right now. And Ted DiBiase is in the ring. We're going to find out. Look at that beautiful belt. Just who is the new Brother million dollar champion? For the entire year of 1995, I have searched and searched and searched in the hopes that I could find someone who would exemplify what I feel a million-dollar champion should be. But I searched in vain That's some belt. and in frustration until finally, Brother Love, finally, Brother Love, I have found him. So without any further ado, who is it? I give you the ringmaster. <laughs> And here he comes, 
the new million dollar champion. Everybody's got a prize. The ringmaster. Everybody's I'm impressed, pay. man. What about you? Oh, very impressed. This man's skills That's very well known. You talk about a grappler. You talk about a man that can mix it up in any fashion at all. Physical specimen. And although you haven't seen him wrestle, when you do, you'll know why. He is a million dollar champion. He is the million dollar champion. And ringmaster, right here in front of everybody, I want to officially crown you my million dollar champion. chance to be somebody come on get the camera on that hand right there i want everybody out there in tv land to touch your screen and feel what it's like to be destined for success go ahead Jane. i got it feel up there what it's like to be well, born a champion man you better put your hand up there mcmahon i didn't come out here just to run my mouth brother love i'm here to prove every single thing i say me and the Million Dollar Man talk. I'm in the Royal Rumble, man. I'm gonna prove how good the ringmaster is. After I toss every single one of the WWF superstars over that rope right there, man, I'll be the one getting the shot at the World Wrestling Federation Championship. It doesn't mean anything compared to the Million Dollar Belt, of course. But in WrestleMania, man, I'm gonna do it all, and you're gonna see what the Million Dollar Man and the Million Dollar Champ are gonna accomplish. And then I'll have every single thing that I want out of the WWF. And why is that? Because everybody's got a price for the Million Dollar Man. <laughs> well, there it was, wow. the debut of one of the, the biggest stars uh, who, who would become one of the biggest stars in, in the history of professional wrestling. And I guess the first thing that really jumps off the page here is, you know, great physique, cool voice. Uh, if, if you'd seen any of his stuff in WCW, uh, you knew that he was a hell of a worker, stunning Steve there. But now yeah. he's being brought in as the ringmaster. Yeah. Uh, what, what did you think of that? Well, you know, he was good, man. And I mean, I, I saw it right from the get go. And of course, you know, at, at that time, it was, you know, it was too real. And I, you know, obviously I, I didn't know what Vince's plans were for him or anything like that. I don't, I don't think Steve knew uh, at that point, but he was just getting started. And it's kind of like, um, you, you, given the opportunity, you either prove, prove yourself or you don't, and you don't get too many opportunities prove yourself so you better make the ones you get count and he did and in a big way and so yeah he he deserves all the accolades that he gets because he, he was one of the best we've ever had and you know and like right there uh you could already tell his his you know he had mike skills and so and you know and then as he got as he got more i guess comfortable if you will then that then that eases it as eases it up so you can even you know go more <laughs> you know it's kind of like 
I guess when you're first, when you first start, you know, and you, you're worried about impressing the boss and everything. And well, what is it he wants me to say? And, 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 but as you go along, it's kind of like, um, they do these scripted interviews now. Uh, Marcus, I, I can't stand it. I uh. can't stand it. You know, it's kind of like, and, and I even told them there, you know, at that, at the end, when I was just managing, I said, look, give me this. I'm going to look this over. And basically I'm going to say what it, the message is here, but it's not going to be word for word what you've written. Right. It's got to be me. And the more me it is, it, can, it is then, you know, the more real it is to the people. So anyway. Nobody's going to know your character the way that you do. So nobody yeah. can write it for you. Yeah. Really, it's it should just be bullet points. Here's the point we want to get across. And yeah. here's here's a live mic. Uh, yeah. So and yeah, I mean, look, Steve, that you could see as his career progressed that they started to trust him more and just like, yeah, OK, take off with it. And that I mean, you know, all the iconic phrases he would he would arrive with. Uh, just something else, um, which, you know, we'll get to in a minute. Um, so, look, it's January when he debuts, and January means Royal Rumble season. And uh, Austin is there. He has a decent showing at the match before being dumped. But what I wanted to ask you about, Ted, is the return of our pal Jake the Snake Roberts. He comes out for Royal Rumble in 1996 in bright green tights and a vest, and he would announce himself to be a born-again Christian. Uh, just a huge, huge change from the more vicious Jake that we last saw in the WWF in like 91, 92, right. when he was just like ice cold. Uh, what did you think about his return and his uh, revised character in 96? Well, you know, um, the revised character wasn't so much a, re a revised character as that something that genuinely happened in his life. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it's kind of like... Um, I also had, you know, an, an awakening, uh, you know, it's like I, I wrote a book, Every Man Has a Price, my first book, which was about my, it was more about my spiritual journey, uh, you know, but it's kind of like, you know, for me, you know, it all, it all, uh, it all came to a, a, a crashing halt, you know, it, in like, a, I think it was 1992. And, um, the uh, when I was called in, I was caught in adultery, mm -hmm. and when I realized it, I mean, as soon as I realized it, it was like my feeling was overwhelming regret because I knew that I had hurt worse than anybody could hurt the one person that I loved the most. And that was my wife. Yes. You know, all, all, all the running around and stuff that happens. I mean, it happens in Hollywood happens in rock and roll. It happens everywhere. You know, it's actually, if you're a famous entertainer, um, of any kind, uh, but that was the, that was the defining moment in my life. I had, I had been very strong in my faith as a young man. I, you know, I was raised, uh, in, in Roman Catholicism. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I, I was the award winning altar boy. Uh, you know, I was the, I was the guy that showed up at the six o'clock mass that that's daily, daily mass, you know, and when, it, when there was four feet of snow on the ground in Omaha, Nebraska, and there wasn't anybody in that church except me and the priest. Uh, but I made, 
you know, because that, that's how important it was to me. But again, then as, as, and then my, my father passes away, I watched my mother sink into alcoholism. Um, and, you know, I still was determined. I, you know, I, I ended up back in this little town, Wilcox, Arizona, three, four traffic lights is where my grandparents lived. And I managed to get a, a scholarship to play college football out of this little town. I don't think there'd been, you know, I, I, there might've been one or two other guys in the history of that little town that ever did it. Uh, but then as, as I started being more successful, uh, then all those temptations over time, they take a toll on you. And, uh, you know, by the time that I was caught in this adultery, you know, I was at the height of it. I was, oh my gosh, I'm the million dollar man. and I'm riding around in Lear jets and limousines. Um, uh, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm being told here, go out and throw this, you know, like, you know, throw this money to people and, you know, all, all of those things, you know, uh, of course the bottom line is it, it comes down to, to me. And, you know, when I was gone so much, I mean, I was gone three weeks out of every month mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, it's, it's hard, but obviously I didn't think about how hard it was on my wife, my wife who's home my wife who's home, not just taking care of the house, but uh, raising our children. Anyway, um, for me, it was a defining moment and a moment that uh, changed me forever. Um, and so when, when I saw that with Jake, I knew, I mean, you know, I mean, cause he, he, he made a public declaration of, of it when he, when he did that. And, you know, I, you know, I was proud of that. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, Jake obviously has had his ups and downs over the years, and now he's he's on a big up, and you know, it has been for um, I think like a ten years now, and couldn't be yeah. happier. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it was interesting seeing this new character, but really, as you said, it was just kind of part of who he was as a person yeah. now. Yeah. Um, well, so look, he makes his return at this time, but at the same time, the WWF is going out of their way to bury wrestlers from the golden age, uh, with their billionaire Ted skits. So these skits would of course feature old men dressed as Hogan and Savage being called the huckster and the nacho man in different scenarios with a fake Ted Turner who, uh, Vince is trying to position as a, a billionaire idiot who's and just employing a bunch of washed up stars. So Ted, as you're watching this. You're seeing these guys who are about the same age as you and Jake are and yeah. who made a lot of money for the company and they're getting called old and being made fun of. Uh, what are your thoughts as you're seeing the billionaire Ted skits in this era? Uh, you know, it, you know, uh, it, it didn't impress me. You know, I mean, obviously, uh, um, uh, I'm part of that era, you know, so, you know, uh, just like watching my friends be made fun of and ridiculed, uh, I, I, it could easily have been me. And, you know, eventually I think it was. Uh, but I mean, it's all in the context of wrestling. Uh, but at the same time, you know, uh, you go, well, it's, it's just a show. Yeah, but somebody's making a point. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, some kind of personal shots at, at both Hogan and Savage. Uh, and it's just, man, like, I know that Vince had an up and down relationship with Hogan. Uh, a lot of people speculate on what happened between he and Savage. Uh, and it's, I, I don't, I have no inside knowledge, of course, but man, just it felt like a little bit too much, especially when you guys are right there. And like, Hogan was born in 53. And I, I think you were born in what, 54? 54, yeah, yeah. So it's so it's like he's getting called old and washed up. It's like I'm right here, man. Like, what are you doing? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, wow. it's just not not the best stuff. Uh, and speaking of not the best stuff, if Santa Claus Santa Claus wasn't enough, uh, you're about to be a manager for the one two three kid in a crybaby match. It in your house six during the match, you would throw baby powder in Ram- in Razor Ramon's eyes, but Ramon would get revenge by hitting you with the baby powder the end of the match before uh, putting a bottle in kid's mouth and a diaper on him and when kid revived he would start crying uh ted what is, uh, are you losing confidence in uh the wwf's ability <laughs> to tell a good story at this point <laughs> you know it, it, it was it was uh, it was just those were unique times i mean i was kind of like i was brought up old school way i was you know i was old school and but what started to change for me was it's like I started looking at okay what Vince had done you know Vince had taken wrestling which was pretty much a blue collar crowd form of entertainment yeah you know back in the day I mean it would have been you know you you know you you didn't see a lot of khaki pants and polo shirts on the fans who came to wrestling no you did not no uh, and so Vince's effort was, you know, and I, I see it now, you know, he took wrestling and he said, okay, he says, I'm going to make bigger than life characters. He says, but they're almost like, it's almost like making it a cartoon. If it weren't for Vince McMahon and the idea that he had wrestling would have never risen to the level of recognition that it has today. As a matter of fact, I, you know, I almost think that, you know, the nature of pro wrestling is that, you know, like now there's, there's so many things. I mean, I mean, it's like you turn on a TV. I can remember when there were only three channels, ABC, NBC, and CBS. That was it. Three channels. Yeah. And that, that's where all you had. Now, my gosh, you know, you got a hundred channels and you got, you got, you can watch movies, you can watch concerts, you can watch whatever you want to, you know? So there's so, so much more, uh, buying for the entertainment dollar. And, and I think if Vince hadn't done what he did, that wrestling may have, you know, got died and gone away. If you know what I mean? Yep. So no doubt uh, about it. So, uh, you know, so kudos, you know? Uh, but at the time, you know, uh, change is hard and change was hard for me because I come from that whole, that old school, you know, make them believe it, make them believe it. And, and look, you know, uh, a little further context, it, we're coming off the era, you know, when like earthquake made quake burgers out of Damien and, and, you know, all that kind of silly shit was going on. So like, of course, Vince is just going to try some stuff and yeah. the crybaby match was something he tried and then never did again because uh, why would you? But yeah, no, it's and I think you're right. You know, without without innovating, things are going to die and, and crowd yeah. audiences are looking for more. And in this era, they they certainly were. And uh, they were about to get it here with Steve because uh, it's, yeah. you know, things are looking up for him. He was officially renamed Stone Cold Steve Austin on March 10th. So did not last very long with the ringmaster thing. Thank God. 
Um, but yeah. along the way, what's your relationship like with Steve? I, I got along fine with Steve. I had no problem uh, with Steve. And I, you know, I, I and again, uh, I uh, supported the guy. I mean, in terms of, you know, like when people would ask me, you know, you know, how's he doing? I said, he's doing good. I said, you know, it's, you know, if he keeps doing this, he's going to be, you know, a big star. And I was right. But, but yeah, but it's kind of like, I didn't realize how right I was that, that he would end up being one of the marquee, you know, characters uh, that the company ever had. I mean, you know, Hogan, Undertaker, Stone Cold, you know, man is nothing short of incredible the way that yeah. he rose and and really i mean you could make the argument that he was bigger than hogan which is saying an awful lot um so he is really even at this point though in in 96 he's he's pretty well established he's been in wrestling for you know close to 10 years or whatever it's been but you had more experience and you'd been with his new company for about nine years at this point so with that being said is he looking to you for advice or is it because he's kind of a veteran talent not so much um you know, I don't, I don't think that he ever, uh, you know, like looked to me for for advice. I mean, but I would, you know, I was, he was always very receptive to anything that I had to say because, you know, he realized, you know, where I was in terms of respect within the, within the wrestling fraternity, so to speak. And uh, it just, it just worked, you know, uh, you know, and, 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 you know, there are stories about other other managers that have been put with somebody and that didn't work so well. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, but that it, it worked for me. Yeah. Well, uh, well, we arrive at WrestleMania 12 in Anaheim in front of more than 15,000 people, and you're there with Austin as he faces Savio Vega. We've got this from the April 8th Observer. Steve Austin pinned Savio Vega at 10.08, finished Savio Vega's spin kick the ref, who sold it forever. Vega kicked Austin in the face uh, for a fall, but no ref. Ted DiBiase then got the million-dollar belt and gave it to Austin, who hit Vega with it twice, then put on the million-dollar dream. The ref was still out, so DiBiase got a Coke from an official and poured it on the ref, who revived and saw Vega out and signaled the finish. Austin got the move on for a long time after the match. Both guys worked hard, but there was no heat for the finish. It died live. The work itself was good in spots and slightly off at other spots. Uh, so th those end remarks uh, from, some, from him aside, that image of you dumping Coke on Tim White, uh, it always springs up on the internet. Uh, <laughs> I just saw it recently myself. As a matter of fact, I've got it right here. <laughs> it's just a, <laughs> just a great, a great image. Uh, like it captured at the perfect moment, just an instant before it touches his face. So <laughs> just, just an incredible photo. Um, but what do you, what do you remember about the uh, the night and the match? Uh, you know, I'll be honest with you, I, I don't remember a lot. It's asking a lot to look back, whatever it is, you 27 know, um, years. I don't remember a whole lot about it. <laughs> That's all right. We can well, well, there is something uh, pretty memorable that happens at WrestleMania that we can talk about here. It's, it's best known for the uh, Iron Man match between Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart with Shawn becoming the WWF champion. I know you're uh, friends with Shawn nowadays, uh, yes. but in those days, he was a different guy by all accounts. Um, what did you think of him at the time? Yeah, well, you know, I thought he was very talented, but, you know, it was kind of like that, that. That was the deal. It's like, you know, Sean needed a major, uh, uh, what you call it, you know, 
kind of the kick in the butt thing, like, you know, wake up, you know, you know, you got a whole lot of talent, but you're going about this all the, the, the wrong way. Mm-hmm. And of course, and Sean and, and, uh, and, you know, Marty Gennetti, you know, were, were teamed up, uh, for a while. And, you know, that, you know, it's kind of like misery loves company type of deal. And, uh, you know, it's like, I've seen Marty just recently. I was, I was at an event last week where Marty was there. He was one of the guests there and I hadn't seen him in a long time and really didn't get a chance to talk to him that much. Not really sure what he's doing now, but what happened. And I don't know exactly when it happened for Sean, but he kicked out and, 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 and changed in a lot of ways. And I don't know, um, I know one of the things that happened to Sean is that, uh, like me, he became a very strong believer in Jesus Christ. Yes. And that, that, that changed everything. I mean, it changed everything. And I don't know if that happened, uh, before it was obvious to everybody that he had changed and, you know, that Vince could, you know, now I, now I think I can trust this guy to be my champion type of thing. Uh, or, you know, or if it happened after, I'm not just not sure. I know it happened, uh, following his, uh, his, his four year retirement. Um, you know, so like somewhere between 98 and 2002, uh, he would have, I think he, uh, kind of hit rock bottom with his addiction and started to climb his way up. Um, and, and good for him. You know, it's like, look, everybody is young and makes huge mistakes. You just talked about doing it yourself, you know, and th- that kind of thing is going to happen when you're twenties, thirties, making a lot of money, um, in great shape, being around a lot of women and people and temptation. Yeah. So it's, uh, good for Sean, you know, he's, he's really kind of pulled the nose up. Oh um, gosh. Oh, I mean, uh, just unbelievable. Hey, so speaking of uh, some turnarounds, uh, from this same issue of The Observer, Meltzer had this to report, and it's pretty interesting. Gene Okerlund hinted on, hinted on the WCW hotline that Ted DiBiase would be coming in as an announcer. While that, under normal circumstances, can be dismissed, in this case, there may be something to it. DiBiase's contract with Titan doesn't expire until the fall, but there has been talk that at that point he may come to WCW as an announcer and be called Zillionaire Ted. Uh, so, Ted, August marks the anniversary of your WCW debut, and we're going to cover more about your contract negotiations and the lead-up to the big night and all that sort of thing then. But for right now, you know, I do want to know, uh, you know, allegedly Howard Finkel would read The Observer and report back to Vince with any relevant information. Do you recall being confronted about alleged negotiations with Turner? Uh, I don't know. I don't think anybody... Um confronted me so to speak i mean um this opportunity came up and it was kind of one of those deals when i went back to work you know for vince initially i went back just to do that to be a manager i mean like at ringside which only at that time only required me to be because they did their tv once every three weeks over a two-day period Mm -hmm. two brutal days but you know, I mean, that's the way they did it. So to be a manager, and and again, the managers at that time, they were just on TV. They didn't go to the shows and go to the ring with, with, with their wrestlers all the time. And so that's what it would, the requirement of with me would just be 
to be, you know, as a, as a manager, be at ringside with my guys, you know, and then, and then be there for the, for the voiceovers for, I can't remember what the, the, well, I was on with Gorilla Monsoon, you know, for the voiceovers, for the shows I was going to do, the the, the color commentary. Mm -hmm. None of, none of the stuff I did was live. Uh, It was all, it was all taped. And so um, that would be that time. And then, you know, while that is, is, is going on, um, you know, I'm watching these guys start to jump over to WCW, you know, and um, trying to think, you know, and I, I know, you know, like when, when Hogan went and all that, and you got uh, Paul and Nash went, Paul and Nash, you know, and, and, and so I was kind of like, I found out that I could, I could get a deal that would give me basically what I, what I had working for the WWF, I could, I could be, uh, a ringside announcer, not a ringside announcer, but one of the commentators and, and manage and managing guys would only be just like that, just a TV. And I, you know, I think, I think they did there's like once a week and live, I can't remember, uh, all the, all the details. But it was something that appealed to me because, and then it would be the first time that I would have a guaranteed contract. Yep. In other words, up until that time, I got paid, but I never had in writing, this is what you're going to make every year. And that's what really appealed to me. You know, it's like, gosh. I hadn't had this before. Knowing exactly what you're going to make, uh, as opposed to, you know, back in the day, we, we always hear that it was a downside guarantee of $1,500 with 10 dates. So that's $150 a shot um, for, with 10 dates guaranteed. That's all, you're get, that's all you were guaranteed when you signed a, a WWF contract. Now, obviously, guys would make a heck of a lot more, but it really yeah. depended on merch sales and how the house did. And there's, there were so many variables. So like, you know, sometimes you would do a pay-per-view and you might make 10 grand. Sometimes you do a pay-per-view and you might make two grand. So mm-hmm. like it's yeah. just this up and down yeah. kind of situation. It's hard to, to plan for life yeah. like that. And, and that appealed to me. And, and a plus, plus, you know, all these other changes were going on in my life in terms of personal, you know, in terms of, uh, uh, you know, like, you know, I, I wrote my, you know, my story, you know, every man has got a price. And that's, I think I covered that in, in that story about, uh, um, all the things that my wife and I had gone through, which made this move a better move for me because, you know, it's like, cause Vince had started putting me out there again. Uh, not all the time, but sometimes, uh, as a manager, uh, on the road, well, Ted, we mentioned Hall and Nash, and as we march closer and closer to your eventual departure for WCW, um, a pretty famous incident happens that involves them, and uh, I'd love to hear your take on it. I'm sure our listeners would, too. On 519 in a sold-out Madison Square Garden, Diesel and Razor, who were departing for WCW after the show, participated in the infamous curtain call, where they broke kayfabe by essentially doing a big bow and hug fest with their real-life friends and uh, the men that they had fought earlier in the night, Shawn Michaels and Triple H, in front of the MSG crowd. 
so this incident would lead to so much heat with WWF officials that Triple H, who was set for a big push and uh, King of the Ring victory in June, would be put on the shit list for a while. And now Steve Austin would go on to win the, the King of the Ring. So a lot to cover there, Ted. Let's start here. Hall and Nash, two of the top guys in the WWF at the time, and now they're gone during a period when the WWF is in a full-blown rebuild and kind of struggling at times. Uh, do you feel like this was a devastating blow to the company? Um, I don't know how about how, how, how devastating. I mean, uh, a blow for sure. But the thing that um, I have to honestly say is I always... I always had a lot of respect for Vince's savvy. And I mean, you, you don't grow a company the way he did in the time that he did. You know what I'm saying? Uh, yes. I mean, I mean, w, I mean, you know, by, by now we're, we're international, you know, you know, like pro wrestling has gone from a territorial thing. Uh, maybe some in Canada and across the United States to this this great big machine called the WWE, and and now we're even going international. Um, so uh, obviously, I, if I was Vince, I'd be pissed. But you know, it's kind of like um, different guys uh, <laughs> different guys do it different ways. I, I don't know what the I don't know what was trying to be proved here. I guess is my my point. I've heard a lot of people echo the sentiment that, you know, yep, business was down and Hall and Nash leaving, you know, it was, it sucked, but, but, you know, they trusted Vince and his intelligence and what he had done up to this point that like, okay, things are down, but he's going to build it back up. And of course he did. Um, the curtain call had a lot of people upset behind the scenes, um, saying that the click was basically just making a mockery of wrestling and, and building in a building where the WWF had made its name. Uh, what was your take on the whole situation? Um, you know, and I wasn't impressed. I mean, it's kind of like, um, you know, you can, uh, you can have your disagreements and what have you, but I, I just, you know, I, I don't, I guess what my point is, I'm, I don't know, you know, what were they trying to prove? Uh, you know, I, I've heard Hall and Nash, and by the way, I, I love both guys. I think they're yeah. great performers, and I know Nash, and he's a he's yeah. always been nice to me. Stand up, but yeah, I like he, him too. Absolutely. Um, and you know, I've I've heard them position it as like you know, a lot of people thought it was for us, but really, we were saying goodbye to the Madison Square Garden crowd. We were really proud of ourselves that we sold it out on our final night, and you know, all that kind of thing, which which I understand, but. You know, at the same time, it is kind of like, you know, I can see why some people viewed it as as a slap in the face uh, to Vince, like a final F you before they left, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know. But I mean, because, of course, it doesn't sound like that's what. Uh, you know, that's not what he was trying to say. Yeah, I don't, I don't think that that was the intention, but man, it's it got a lot of people upset. And, and like I mentioned, Triple H, he temporarily loses his push, which leads directly to Steve Austin winning the King of the Ring. At King of the Ring, Austin would famously utter his Austin 316 phrase at Jake Roberts after the victory. Um, so if the curtain call hadn't happened, you could kind of make the argument that maybe Steve Austin wouldn't have become Steve Austin. Certainly, he wouldn't have had the opportunity to say the Austin 316 thing. Yeah. I mean, what do you think? Do you think uh, his rise was inevitable just because of his, his talent? You know, timing's everything in, 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 in this business or any business. And, uh, 
you know, I think he was, he was the right guy at the right time at the right place. Uh, you know, and, and, and I guess we could speculate, you know, until we're blue in the face as to whether that, uh, the curtain call thing would have made any difference or, or if it wouldn't, um, I, I don't know. I really, I really couldn't tell you. And, you know, I wasn't, um, you know, I wasn't as concerned then, you know, in ter terms, because I mean, it's kind of like, uh, you know, my life had taken a change and uh, I was, I guess, you know, you might say I wasn't paying as close of attention as I would have been had I been actively wrestling. Right. That makes any sense. It does. And not to mention, you know, you are on your way out the door as yeah. evidenced by uh, what happened here on, on Raw coming up. Um, it's reported that uh, Savio Vega versus Steve Austin match had a stipulation added where uh, if Austin lost, which he did, you would leave the WWF. This is reportedly due to the fact that just a few days before the match, you officially gave your the WWF your 90-day uh, notice. Yeah. Austin, of course, would lose, and your time with the WWF would come to an end. Yeah. Uh, so, Ted, that's where we'll wrap it up for today. It's really yeah. kind of the end of the story. I know we were all over the map. You know, this episode is going to be called Steve Austin, and we talked about Austin, but really, it's I found the entire time interesting. There was just yeah. so much going on, and then all of a sudden, you're just gone after being there for nine years. Um, yeah. uh, so, you know, uh, well, you know, and, and, oh, go ahead. and here's the thing about it too, you know, like in hindsight, you know, if, if I had this all to do over again, the one thing I didn't do, you know, is, is I should have gone to Vince and just said, look, I, I want to sit down and talk to you. And I didn't do that. I, I didn't do, I, I did not do that. Uh, mm. instead it was like, I, you know, I let him, I, you know, I, I gave, you know, I, I, you know, you, you had to give your notice in writing and, you know, I, I, I sent, I sent my notice in, but I didn't have the conversation with Vince. And then if you fast forward to, you know, like, let's go, uh, years later when I went back, and I did go back, you know, after the, the whole, the whole shooting match. Right. Um, um, I had an opportunity to have that conversation with him and, uh, and basically made the fence, so to speak. So, um, did he say if he was, he was hurt by the fact that you didn't come to him? Um, you know, um, he, he just said it in the way, like, he says, you know, like, you know, I've, I've always told you, you know, if you, if you have a problem, doors open, you know, and, um, and I just said, I, I, I know, but I feel like I, at this point, since I had, I'd already been brought back in, I wasn't wrestling anymore. I'd been given this opportunity to do the voiceovers and, and this stuff. And then this thing comes up with, um, uh, with Hall and Nash and everybody and Hogan you know, jumping over to the other company and, and just because, and again, this is my bad, just because I, um, didn't or wasn't able or wasn't going to wrestle anymore. Um, I should have, I, I, sh I should have had the, uh, the wherewithal to just go to Vince and just 
say it outright. And it might, it might, it might have ended up different. You know, it's kind of like my attitude was, you know, Vince is running a show, you know, and it's kind of like my, my attitude was, uh, he's got a lot more to think about than just me, you know? And so, you know, it's kind of like, uh, you know, whether I stay or I go is not his, his greatest, you know, concern at the time, you know, I'm not, I'm not one of his key players anymore. Of, uh, and, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, 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 if I had it to do over again, I would have gone and sat down with the man and had that conversation. And that's what I should have done in the first place. Interesting to think what could have happened if you would have just gone to him and said like, Hey, here's the offer I got from Bischoff, like just match it and I'll stay, you know, who knows uh, where, where your character could have gone or what your career could have, could have done. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting. I, you know, again, in August, that's going to be the anniversary of your arrival in WCW. I can't wait to dig more further into the, that whole story and coming into the NWO and your thoughts and feelings on that. So it's coming up folks. Stay tuned for that. Uh, before we get out of this, I, I did want to ask you, Ted, um, what kind of impact do you feel that you had on the early stages of Austin's time in the WWF? Uh, well, I, I, I don't, well, I, I just know this. I mean, you know, in the business, we call it the rub. I mean, I was, uh, I feel like I was anyway, um, a big enough name in the industry, in the WWE, that the reason Vince took Austin and, 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 and put him with me was what for, for the rub, in other mm -hmm. words, you know, uh, here's a guy that I think I can go places with. Let's put him with, with Ted, which because of, of my background, who I was within the, within the company was just the rub that helps to elevate, you know? And so I think that's, I think that's why it's put him with me and, uh, and, you know, hopefully it, obviously it worked. Well, it does. I'm not taking credit, but, but I mean, I think that's the why, why did he choose me to be the manager? Of, of Austin. That's because he was going to, he was going to go somewhere with him and he knew it. So. Certainly didn't hurt uh, pairing him with you who, you know, really uh, at that point, probably the biggest, not just the biggest heel in wrestling, maybe the biggest heel in the history of wrestling at that point, just due to the fact that you're on this huge stage and like you'd been a consistent heel for nine straight years on this massive stage. Yeah. So, uh, so man, I just uh, really, really cool. Uh, cool to, to look back and, you know, as I'm doing the research, see all the stuff with you and Steve Austin, it's like, oh yeah, the million dollar man and, and Stone Cold Steve Austin were together. Just yeah. really fascinating what a cool time in wrestling um and i appreciate you talking to us about it here today ted um yeah. so uh, before we go i just wanted to remind everybody the premier streaming network is the only place to get this podcast on video with no commercials if you're just listening to this right now just go over to premier streaming network at premier streaming network.com uh, it's, that is your destination for everybody's got a pod and exclusive videos, your favorite sports and entertainment events from around the world, uh, all kinds of stuff. RVD's podcast, as we've mentioned, Sabu's podcast. So if you like what we're doing, uh, it would just go over and check it out. You don't stand to lose anything. Plus, you get this podcast early and commercial free. Can't beat that. Uh, we'll be back next week. But in the meantime, we'd love to have you follow us on social media at Ted DiBiase pod on all of our social media platforms. You can follow Ted at MDM Ted DiBiase on all his social media and follow me at Marcus P. D. Angelo on Twitter. 
You can follow Premier Streaming Network at Watch on Premier on Twitter and at Premier Streaming Network on Instagram and Facebook. Also, if you're listening to us on your podcast app, please just take a second to leave us a five-star review. It helps us out a bunch. And also, get over to our YouTube channel, subscribe. Uh, we've got all kinds of fun stuff that we do over there. It's not just clips from the show, but we've also got exclusive clips, stuff that's not on the show, only on YouTube, and you can only get it there. So get over to YouTube.com forward slash at everybody's got a pod subscribe and not only will you get that cool content but you'll be eligible for future giveaways you can't beat that it's a hell of a deal it's all just free just go subscribe and uh ted thank you again for talking to me today about steve austin this was a really fun episode uh marcus thank you so very much and uh i guess until next time remember everybody's got a price for the million dollar man We will catch you guys next time right here on Everybody's Got a Pod.